0: Welcome to The New Media Show. It's great to be back again. Todd Cochran, my co-host, is has decided that he's going to head off for a little bit of a vacation. Podcast movement wore him out or something like that. But my name is Rob Greenlee. If you haven't watched The New Media Show before, I occasionally will be the lead host on stuff when Todd's gone. Now that I have an account with StreamYard, I can jump in and say, Okay, Todd, go off and have your vacation. I'm going to continue the show. But I'm really lucky to have Deidre Chen with me from Cap Show and podcast movements. And yes. welcome to the show, Deidre.
1: Thank yeah. you. I feel like I'm a poor, poor stand in for Todd. I've got big shoes to <laughs> fill for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. If I think about the life of this program, this new media show we've been doing for 12 years or whatever, and what we noticed in the data, and if you're a long time listener, to this you've probably heard us say this before, but we typically, it's really interesting how the numbers fluctuate based on if we have a third person on the show, how that affects the overall numbers. This is people like to tune into the show just to hear us, Todd and I, argue about stuff.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) So So do you find that
0: the get the most listeners when it is just the two of you versus when you- What's interesting is that the numbers that I've gotten when I've done this show with like a person like yourself that comes in and is a co-host, have been very strong too. So- I think it may just have to be have something to do with having three people on versus two people. Oh, so,
1: interesting. Okay, there's yeah. a nugget. Yeah, it is. Is.
0: yeah <laughs> well, it's like it's all, a fly on the wall kind of situation.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is too interesting. But I think the key thing too is it's really important to keep experimenting with the show and see what actually works works too. So that's super cool that you found that.
0: Yeah, and if you do a show long enough, you can see these, the, these trending patterns. And it's also helped me view podcasting a little differently when it comes to guests and Mm -hmm. co-host type of situations. And here recently on Twitter, there there was a whole thread of discussion about this concept of um, co-host versus guests, right? Or interview format, right? And how if you build your show around a co-host, what you're doing is you're building kind of a chemistry between the guest and or not the guest, but between the two co-hosts. And that creates a different kind of dynamic than an interview program. Yeah. And and a lot of audiences like that because any given listener may not like me, but they may like Todd or vice versa, but both of us are usually always there. But anyway, I didn't want to bring you on to talk about that kind of stuff necessarily, (laughs) but it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition of how people perceive podcasting and it's, we've learned a lot about it over the years doing this show because we've tried a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. And I was just going to say, because it has a very radio feel to it, right? When it's just two co-hosts talking and having conversation, which has, it does seem like it's podcasting has taken on a different lens of, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's either a solo or a guest interview style show. So it's really cool to see that even the radio style co-host stuff is actually still really popular.
0: Yeah, no, I think it is and it probably will continue to be. And then now as you can visually see doing video Mm -hmm. and doing it live is something that this show has been doing for 12 years as well. So we've been doing a live show and it's, this program is not, there's no outline, there's no script. There's, I did tell Deidre the main things that I wanted to talk about today which is really, at the end of the day, what your reaction to Podcast Movement was. It's always kind of like one of those watershed moments every year for mm-hmm. the podcasting industry. Yes. And um, just what your reaction, and did you have a good time? Did you learn anything <laughs> new? And what were your kind of overall takeaways from yeah. Podcast movement?
1: And did you lose your voice, Rob, as a result?
0: <laughs> no, it's just phlegm. It's just phlegm yeah. from the Coffee, drink. I Got it.
1: I definitely <laughs> felt like I was losing my voice for sure.
0: Was yeah,
1: yeah. But I find Podcast Movement one of those really rare events where you feel like you're you're having this reunion with friends and family for either annually for people who don't go to Podcast Movement Evolutions nope. or t- every twice a year with PME as well in in the mix. It, I always have a ton of fun. So this is okay. So this is my my view generally on events, I am an introvert. So I dread the prospect of going to these events. I'm like all the way up and I'm getting on the plane and I'm like, Oh gosh, okay. I have to gear myself up. But once I get there and I'm like seeing all of these familiar faces and I get, getting to hug everyone. I think Rob, we had a good big hug yeah. when we saw each other. It's just, it's so magical. Like I love, that's why I love these events. It's an especially podcast movement because of this very thing. Like people come back to it year every year. And that's the magic. You just yeah. get to see these people who are your friends and family again. It's so yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the that's the magic of podcasting. It's a people medium. And when you go to podcast movement, you're surrounded by very outgoing and they can be they can be some introverts that yes. are out there podcasting. It's actually not a very uncommon situation for podcasters to be introverts and, and not really like crowds or what whatever but but it's also typically a community of very genuine people that that like to help others and share and i think a lot of i heard that comment from a lot of folks that were new this year at the event saying mm-hmm. saying that they really really enjoyed the community that's around yes. podcasting and that's always been what's kept me energized about the podcasting industry just generally is how much community focus that the industry has and Supportive of each other. Now, granted, it's become over the years become a very competitive medium as well. people wanting to succeed and and people start working for companies and people's agendas start coming into play to some degree. But so that competitive instinct has definitely been growing over the years in the medium. But at the end of the day, all of us have a common passion and we all come together at Podcast Movement every year, and it's. Like you said, it's like a reunion. There's a yes. lot of people that I knew ten, twelve years ago that don't go to these events anymore. Well, so there's been a changeover of new people um, yeah. that, that come to these events. So you're always meeting new people all the time when you come to these events, and that's what also makes it interesting too.
1: Yeah, and I'd love to get your views on that transition. What, why do you think that has happened, and what do you almost see as this with the new? blood, I guess, coming to podcasts. we were like, where are you seeing this going?
0: I think that it's going to continue to be like this. I, I think that there's a changeover in the industry right now. I think that the Gen Z community is going to have a huge impact on the direction and the, the population of the podcast industry. I, mm-hmm. I think that younger generation is coming in and it's inspiring a very rapid growth in the listening and consumption side because of the type of content that's being produced in the medium. So we're seeing al- almost like a generational shift that's happening in the industry. And, and this, and really what really I think makes that obvious is the conversation around video mm-hmm. at the event this year that has cr- created quite frankly, some consternation with some of the long time podcasts, people yes. in the industry that, that like, you no, know, Video belongs over in YouTube and YouTube's not podcasting. And so (laughs) podcasting is only something that's consumed off of an RSS feed. And that's the perception. And I get flack from that from the industry too, because I'm a little bit more kind of opening my eyes to Mm -hmm. what the reality of the perception of the consumption side, Yeah, uh, that this is more than just RSS feed now. I think that the listeners and the viewers, and I'm increasingly saying it that way are seeing podcasting as much more than just content that's delivered off of an artist feed though that's still primary but it's definitely growing in youtube is and spotify and these other platforms are definitely adding to that that shift
1: yeah and it's so interesting because it it is a hundred percent a generational thing because if you ask me it didn't even enter my mind when this whole thing started this debate started around the video podcasting types of things because i was just like does it really matter it's just a different way to consume mm-hmm. the same content but that's very much millennial view right there which is probably very different to the gen x's and oh, sorry the gen z's oh gen which one's the one before me gen it's X, right? the gen
0: yeah, z gen X. yeah it's the younger gen Right.
1: Yeah, so the ones before the generations before me have a very different and almost definitive view of what podcasting is, which mm-hmm. didn't even enter my mind when it all came about. So it's super interesting to see even like from a generation generational perspective what how people view even certain types of medium as not just general consumption but like the way that it gets delivered or how it gets delivered.
0: Yeah. It shouldn't matter as much really in the bigger picture of things. It when I i've been told this many times from those that are doing the research on this and that that are presenting this trend line is that really we should be thinking about this medium more from the viewer and listener side and but yet i keep coming back to this thing the podcaster needs to understand the distinctions here so it's really an understanding that there is rs and there is other forms of distribution, we can view them as podcasting, or we don't. That's a choice, but when we say that video on these platforms is not podcasting, it's conflicting with the message that is being received by increasing numbers of consumers of this content. So we're not really, we're talking to not the complete industry, we're talking to just a segment of the industry, and I'm not sure that's the Right, long term path to, to go. Thank you, Eileen, for the comment. Appreciate that. She's happy to meet you, Dieter.
1: Yeah, nice <laughs> to meet you too. It's <laughs> super cool. <laughs> yeah, what I, and so just to go back to the podcast movement question like, what I really appreciate about what Dan and Jared do, and obviously the whole podcast movement team, is the innovation. That they yeah. bring in to each event. For example, there was the concept of brain dates, which I was fortunate. J- Jared reached out to me, and he was like, "I want you to be one of the first to to use this." And when I first kind of went into, it, I was like, "I don't know what I'm doing here." Again, I'm a millennial, so I just push buttons until things <laughs> something <Right>. happens <laughs> works. Right. And so that happened, and then I got, I just got a ton of my friends onto it as well. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing!" And it was so much fun to not only host, but to even Attend some of these Brain Dates, which are the small, much yeah. smaller discussions around specific topics. Yeah. So I thought that was a really cool addition. What did you manage to? Get yeah, I did a Brain Date
0: too. I did a yeah, I did a Brain Date about the convergence of audio and video together mm-hmm. now, and, and had a table full of folks to talk about that. And it was an interesting conversation. Actually, I, I recorded it. Oh. <laughs> That's a great episode. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be putting it out. Yeah, yeah, I did 12 interviews and 12 recordings at Podcast Movement with the new uh, Nomano sound Mm. capsule device that I have. I remember,
1: yes, us using that. (laughs) That's that's very cool. Yeah, I
0: had a fun time going around and just clipping on these little lapel mics on onto people and clicking the record button and forcing them to do an interview.
1: <laughs> no, well, I wouldn't say you you forced. Uh, there was a well, little bit of
0: angry. I pushed it on them. I, I said, "I want to record this if you don't mind. Uh, I just need to clip this onto you, and if you want to be careful what you say, that's okay. But that's the opportunity of of a device like that. Is that it's so simple and so easy to actually yeah. get recordings and things like that. So I had a fun time at Podcast Movement this time, probably I was there representing StreamYard too. So I, the whole spectrum. So you think about me focusing on an audio device, audio only device, and then mm. talking about audio and video. Um, that's kind of where my head is. And that's an, not just because I have these relationships. It's more to do with, I've been doing like this show for a long time. So this convergence has been part of my world for years. And I love live. Live is Has the energy that keeps connections, individual Mm -hmm. connections with listeners out there. And if I can do more live, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do more live. So it's not this is a self-fulfilling prophecy that I have that's going to hopefully make me very busy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And on that too, we talk and Harold, hello, Harold is asking what the hottest three topics of this year's podcast movement was. And definitely up there was AI, as we can probably imagine. And I know Rob, you wanted us to talk about AI, but the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because I'm actually in the middle of this five-day challenge that we're doing in conjunction with Molly Mahoney, who is, she does live streams all the time. And it's, this is essentially a live stream repurposing challenge using AI. And it was really cool. One of the things that she said about going live is that increasingly, what we're going to find in not just the podcasting industry, but really everywhere is that AI is going to become a bigger and bigger way that mm-hmm. a content's created, but content is also amplified. And if we want to c- continue creating that connection with our audience, if you if we want to actually be seen as the authentic human that we actually are, mm-hmm. live and live streaming is actually going to be the future of how we do that because AI can't be here as me, as Deidre, talking to Rob. It's, right. It has to be me going live. Yeah. So yeah, it's actually a really cool intersection, what you're doing, like bringing the video in, the podcasting, and increasingly the AI <laughs> part to it it's a really cool venn diagram
0: that starts to happen yeah though so i would say that the obvious next question is that it's probably technically might be possible for an ai to host a live show we shall see
1: <laughs> probably probably but for now right. it's not so i'm yeah. we're like go live
0: <laughs> we're all hoping that's the case that we have a pathway for humans to have a place in the future and not be totally replaced by a- ai Artificial intelligent uh, robots that show up in our podcast for us on yes. our behalf. Yes. it can look yes. like us, but it may not be us.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'd love to know actually Rob, I know that we're going off a little bit topic but a little off topic, but when we caught up at PM, PME, I believe yes it was mm-hmm. yes, it was at PME in yep. March, I want to say it was in March, we had a full on discussion about AI and the future of AI and our respective dystopian views on (laughs) AI is going. I'd love to talk
0: about Twitter too, right? Yes.
1: Yes. And so it's what, like six months or so, maybe not even six months since then. I'd love to get your thoughts now on what your views are. Are they still the same? Have they shifted slightly? Have they deepened? I'd love to know what, how you (laughs) think, where you think the future of AI is going to take us.
0: Yeah, I think that the interesting just to say what we talked about back then it was more about what I felt that Elon Musk had in plan had in store for his acquisition of Twitter and why he wanted to acquire Twitter I think gets back to where he wants to take that massive amounts of human data that has been gathered by Twitter over the years and if you think about what he's working on he's working on Neuralink He's working on, I don't know if you just saw his announcement that he he did a, a live video in a Tesla vehicle demonstrating full self-driving 12.0. And okay. what that car, what that means is that his full self-driving software with the 12.0 upgrade will be, the car will be driving itself based on AI technology. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a what's called a, a neural net, not mm-hmm. code. Just to give you an example of what that means is that there's no code in there that tells the car to stop at a red light.
1: It's all done through all of the other cars that stop at red lights.
0: It's a, it's all done through video training. So yeah, the, the AI has been developed to really replicate the human brain and think about how we get, gather information from the world and what causes our ability to navigate the world. It's through our vision. And through our kind of instincts that are built into visual training that we've had over our entire lives. And that's exactly what Elon Musk has replicated here is the ability for the AI to learn visually Mm -hmm. and to interpret that information into actions on the part of driving the vehicle. And he quoted in there when he was doing this demonstration, how smooth the car was and how it drove just like a human because it had been trained by videos that were coming out of actual human drivers of the Tesla vehicles. Each of those cars has up to eight video cameras in it. And so it's gathering lots of data around lots of driving situations. I think it's 4 million cars that are gathering data. So you start thinking about just the vast quantities of visual (laughs) data that it has for that, that machine learning model to pump into the AI engine and, there's no code that says stop at a stoplight, so it's. I think we're at a. That was a huge inflection point, and I'm not sure that everybody really fully grasped what that means. I don't know what you yeah. think about that. Hearing that, I, I'm assuming you heard about that now for the first time. But
1: yeah, I, yeah, because I guess I don't really follow the the goings on of Tesla, but I do high level somewhat follow the goings-on of Elon Musk and he's one of those figures that is brilliant and you can and I am like in awe of the brilliance but also I am incredibly pretty terrified of yeah. what is coming yeah. and the yeah. power that he holds because and I think this was at the heart of our discussion even previously Rob which is imagine the amount of data human data that he has access to between Owning the roads with Tesla and the human discourse conversations in Twitter now X, even like the satellites that he's funding over third world countries and stuff with SpaceX now, space like there is there is so much data that this one person has access to. And when you think about what one misguided decision or one it's scary, right? What could be happening?
0: think about the big picture of what he's doing i think when we were talking about twitter it it was like that's the real data is the most valuable thing now Uh, and having ways to gather data from humans especially when you think about what he's building he's got the xai project that he's building and that's going to aggregate all this data into i believe he's determined to build agi which is the, mm-hmm. the artificial general intelligence, which is kind of like the next level. Most yeah. of the LLMs that we see out there now, and ChatGPT would be a good example of that, biggest, um, are, are fairly limited in their scope of what they can do and what they're capable of doing. But AGI is like human intelligence, right? We can do it's, anything based on what we're trained to do. Net.
1: It's the SkyNet.
0: <laughs> it is, and he's literally going to have all those yeah. Starlink satellites that are going to be able yeah. to connect the world to this yeah. uh, this ai so as you think about may- maybe a billion of the optimus tesla robots out there all connected to starlink you can, you can kind of yep. see how this might work Oh but gosh! W- what was also remarkable about his demonstration was that he also said that the new fsd 12.0 is doesn't rely on an internet connection so oh. think about okay. it we don't I guess to some degree, we rely on an internet connection. Yeah, I was about to say. Our our phones, right? (laughs) Yes. But the AI that he's built to drive these cars isn't dependent on an internet connection. Just like we are, if we're not looking at a phone or looking at a nav system on our car, we're not dependent on the internet either to be able to drive. So you can really see the mapping of human intelligence to what he's building there. And it's, and then you think about Neuralink, and that's the ability to tap into the brain to be able to connect to this artificial intelligent existence. And you can see that future is a little scary yeah. about what is possible, right? We don't know what's possible right now. All we know is these connections are being made that sound a little ominous. What do you think about all that?
1: Oh, I am on the same page. As soon as I keep reading, and that's why I keep a a high-level overview on what he's doing, especially him, because really, like, even when you think about who's next biggest, like, the likes of Google or Meta or whatever, like, they are not building, well, to my understanding, they're not building the kind of connections, and they haven't probably quite connected all the dots that I think he has. Like, He has a much bigger vision from what we can see him actually doing than the others have the others are definitely in it for like commercial purposes of which he is too but yeah. you can almost see the moves the chess moves that he's doing in a way for this bigger picture mm-hmm. that the others just aren't
0: yeah and i've got first-hand experience i've got a tesla model 3 myself so i'm actually using the some You're of the contributing, You're I, contributing. I, am contributing. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or not but i'm definitely and i'm also a shareholder in tesla too so i'm
1: uh, um,
0: so you want I've, Skynet to to take I over the <laughs> No, I don't want Skynet. I just want the stock price to go up. That's all I want. Got it, so got ha- it. However that happens, I'm probably okay with that. But, oh, but okay. still, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> just in the spirit of full disclosure here. So anyway, Harold Gilchrist just posted a comment. Were there a lot of vendors showing new creative podcasting products at Podcast Movement? And I would have to say, yeah, th- there was a few of that. I would put the... Uh, Deidre in there too with Cap Show, but AI, there was AI on display at Podcast Movement and there were new recording platforms and there were new things, and which is always the case at Podcast Movement. I think new companies that are coming up that want to reach the podcast market will get a booth and that's what it did. StreamYard was there for the first time and Nomano was there and that's that a recording device that uses AI as well. And increasingly, even stream is using AI technologies. So I think that there is a convergence happening, and as you think about what happened between Squadcast and Descript just a couple of weeks ago, it's another example of kind of this convergence of the these AI publishing and post-production type of publishing platforms that we're seeing, and of which CapShow is one of those of trying to connect up the recording and making of content with what you do with it after you make it.
1: <laughs> yeah i would love to get your thoughts on what you thought because you're pretty you've been in the industry for a while rob if i can say so <laughs>
0: i think 2004 right yeah. yep
1: and so you you've been you've been there through all the changes so I would even love to know what you thought were to harold's point some what are some of the most creative podcasting products that you've seen come up in the last 12-ish months yeah. and name names if you want and thank you for mentioning cap show but yeah, I'd actually love to know what you yeah, what you think are actually some of the most innovative.
0: Yeah, I think right now I think it's just the post-production publishing AI products right now are the most interesting and I think what we're going to see is increasing integrations into the content creation platforms and mm-hmm. as the AI contributes to even some of that, it's going to be interesting to see how far that goes. Are we going to see a platform that does the creation, the post-production, and the publishing, and the distribution all in one platform, which we haven't seen yet. But I do think that it's probably likely coming, um, yes. that somebody's going to connect up all the dots. I know I had this thought yes. about that many months ago that was yes. coming. Yeah. I, I, actually, I think I talked to you about it.
1: <laughs> we did. We had a chat. Yeah. And even at the time, yeah. I was like, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen through most likely acquisition. And we can see that, yeah. right? Again, you mentioned Descript and Squadcast. And because even being a tech founder, like I I know how difficult it can be to be really good at even just one thing, let alone many things. And that is part of the reason why Descript actually did acquire Squadcast because they tried before, right? They tried to create their own recording platform yep. and it just was not that great and people were not using it. Right. And so right. because they're, zone of genius, what they do really well is the video editing part of it or the editing before it's audio, now video. And when they can just double down and focus on that, which is just make that the best that they can be, it just makes total sense that they just acquire now other companies and start to build that workflow out. So I think you're right. That is what is coming on the horizon. It's just going to be interesting to see who can actually start to dominate that game.
0: Yeah. I don't know that there's a lot I think you're one of the exceptions. I'm not sure that there's a lot of expertise in AI technology within the podcast industry per se. I I think a lot Mm. of the the expertise is still somewhat on the outside of it and have are slowly but surely trying to integrate with the industry increasingly. But yourself and your platform is an example of someone that understands AI and how it can be utilized and is building a tool that really helps podcasters streamline their post-production side of what they're doing with their program to help them with the publishing side. I think that those are the layers. So I guess what I'm saying is that you're probably an acquisition target at some point. (laughs) (laughs) That may be the goal that you have too. So
1: if anyone wants to throw money at me, I exactly.
0: Exactly. So, and I think your piece will connect up to another piece, right? Mm -hmm. They will be, And that's what we're going to see initially is some kind of partnership, some integrations that that will Mm -hmm. happen with, um, let's say, the hosting platforms. What probably you need to get connected up with more is the creation platforms. And then you can be like part of that funnel into the hosting and distribution side. Yeah. So is how I I see that coming together.
1: Yeah, and that makes total sense because even though and thank you for your kind words. Yes, we are heavily in the podcasting in space and that's where Capture starts and is very much where that's where we're investing our time. But and but we are very intentional to say we are more of a marketing platform if that mm-hmm. makes sense. As in because yeah, you're right, it is all about post-production, but we help podcasters create their marketing assets because one of the things definitely when I started my first podcast, not like two decades ago like you (laughs) but three years ago I that was the one thing that I struggled with which was how much it sucked to have to actually create more marketing assets to grow my podcast because I just you just don't think about those things when you start a podcast it sounds like a lot of fun it's yes I can record and the editing for some people might be a bit of fun but then it's like I have to actually market this thing for it to grow I actually have to get it in front of people that's that is tiring. It takes up a lot of time. And so that's why I say it It really sucked. And so that's where it it came from. And because we're marketers, my co-founders and I, we've really built capture off the back of our marketing expertise or podcasters. And yeah, so thank you. Thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah. So how important is the feedback? I know you built kind of like an ambassador community and you, mm-hmm. you're, you're gathering, I'm sure, feedback from many people in the industry around mm-hmm. features and function and things like that. And so yes. where are you at? In that process, are you feeling you guys are really clued into the workflow process that typical podcasters go through and you're trying to like chip away at their time that they have to devote to doing this stuff?
1: Yeah, it's one of those catch-22 situations. Okay, so let's talk about time first because we do get some feedback to be like, I don't understand, this isn't saving me time. And that's because quality to That's the thing. That's the thing. It's what does time actually mean to people? Is it really, I think that's what's becoming, has become really apparent for me because time for me was just like, yeah, it's going to time equals either how much you can create in a certain amount that is either more or of better quality, or right. it's just, if you just want to focus on one thing, it does actually massively shrink, you know, that, but people don't view time the same way from one mm-hmm. person to the next. And that's just the really fascinating thing about, yeah, how we because yeah they're getting you leverage AI to be able to save time. Now, what does that mean for me? It means you can actually create more at a better level, which is like win. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you leverage these tools right. at your disposal in order to do that? But I think what happens is we get so desensitized to what it is that where our expectations are so it's all saving time actually means i want a hundred percent perfection for even more even if i wasn't doing them before but now it's i'm going to do more of these things and it's Mm going to be a hundred percent perfect and it's just push button to your point like from the workflow perspective push button from wherever from a publisher or like a hosting platform or a an editing platform all the way through to it's on a social media platform or it's on it's published somewhere and Mm -hmm. yeah that's just not how ai works (laughs) right Right. right now
0: (laughs) yeah it's not quite there it's not to say that it it can't be there at some point all of us have to decide how much dependency we want to have on ai and in what we do with our podcasts and that's Mm. i think it's still a bit early to be entirely dependent on it but obviously even today it's i don't even think it's technically possible to do what I'm talking about here. So it's, it, that is somewhere down the line and hopefully platforms like yourself and other hosting platforms will understand how this workflow can work because it will be a revolution of sorts and mm-hmm. how we, how the workflow of creating a podcast is. But I'm, I think that the big question mark is still how will AI affect the content that's actually created, right? Not mm-hmm. the, not the, Post-production metadata stuff. I think we've, I think we have a clear understanding of what that looks like. I'm just curious about it. E- even if you look at what Descript is doing with the post-production, with the editing and things like that, and the ability to remove the 47 or 43 filler words, and just yes. by clicking a button, right, and it does it yes. for the audio and the video, which is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. I think it causes a content creator to think differently about how they produce their show too. So maybe for shows that are using the script, maybe you don't want to move as much when you're doing your podcast. (laughs) Yes. The visual side also you're going to be doing this and jumping around a lot because it's clipping, right? It's clipping out those hesitations or those filler words. But I think increasingly people are expecting that because it does dramatically reduce the amount of time that piece of Mm -hmm. content takes up to consume. I think we all have filler words, I, but I think each one of us has to develop some level of what do we believe in when it comes to, yes. should it remove um, every little one second pause or should it re- remove all the two second pauses or should, what words do you want it to the ums or the ahs? Or, you can go through and check those boxes right and say, I Different want every language. to be removed, but not every ah or every yes. and or That that kind of stuff, so you can get that granular with it. But it's yeah, that's the power. But it can also backfire on you too.
1: (laughs) And it's and it still takes time, right? Like to your point, you can. We have these tools now that can help, but still, at the end of the day, as the human, you still have to make the decision, which is actually the really interesting interplay between how we as humans and creators actually do work or leverage AI. And that's to my point. It's like we can think that saving time is we just click the select all remove all the ums and ahs and that saves time in an absolute term we Mm -hmm. would think but then but then what you're saying or what i think you're alluding to which is is that actually the quality that you want to be producing because sometimes the ums and it's
0: okay to have the ums and
1: right it makes us human and that's how we actually continue to create connection and so that's a really interesting dynamic i think we're going to see playing out is everyone will have a view i'm very staunchly Every time I get asked about AI and especially in the workflow, I'm like, I really would recommend continuing to lean into the humanness where it makes sense, which is in the content creation part of it and in the wherever you're trying to connect. So even this, we talked about going live at the beginning of this and it was because going live is actually such a great way to create that connection with people. Mm -hmm. And hey, let's just keep bringing the humanness to this and then leverage AI where the humanness, where it can actually make the human process more efficient, if that makes sense. So, yeah, that's, it's going to be interesting to see where people land on either side.
0: Yeah, it's, you, you can really, I use that clip feature for a lot of the stuff I'm doing now. And I find that the content's a little bit better because it feels like it's more concise. that mm-hmm. has less, because I, I tend to, when I talk sometimes, I contemplate a little bit and that can be, Okay. If you talk about like a live radio program or something like that, especially is that sometimes it's okay to have kind of a moment of (laughs) contemplation, especially if you say if you're if it's a dramatic moment, you just kind of say, This is the way it is. Are you sure that's what you want? And it causes your audience to think, right? Because you've driven a message to them but if you use these tools to remove that pause maybe that it doesn't have the Even same emotional EPAC, impact on your audience for sure yeah so yep. harold is back with another question i'm curious if there <sighs> were any vendors showing ai tools to help podcast listeners save time. That's an interesting perspective. Parsing through podcasts. haven't seen that yet. That's an interesting question, Harold.
1: And is that, and Harold, hopefully you're still live with us, but do you, is that in terms of helping you find the next recommendation of podcast? I'm assuming
0: that's what we're talking about. I think that's what he's asking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I do know that there are definitely new players in the market that I know of. I don't think they were. At podcast movement, I want to say, I know. Okay. So for example, Podopolo mm-hmm. creating an app, a podcast player that is designed to bring intelligence mm-hmm. for podcast listeners. So things like recommendations, even you now you mentioned clipping and they're not clipping by way of video, but from an audio perspective, it's like, Hey, these might be certain things that you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. I know there's another relatively new business. I, the name escapes me. They're doing more, they're doing it more from an educational perspective around going almost you can creators like like us can input our episodes our shows or whatever into this platform and based on the what the listeners have said that they're interested in from an education perspective they'll actually surface even just like very relevant bits, so it's almost this algorithmic like the search thing mixed out uh, but only for podcasts so there's this, there's some really interesting ways that people are looking at this. I wouldn't say that there's any one big player that's really got this down though I don't know about you Rob
0: yeah, I don't know if that much effort that's being put in yet with AI technology, but one analogy that I can draw here that hopefully will help I think with that is a. a how we've seen content discovery occur on YouTube with algorithms, things like that is something that has been mostly missing from the podcast listening side. I believe I'm not sure that there's as much intelligence behind the association engines and the recommendation engines that we've seen develop in YouTube come to podcasting yet. But I do think that AI will have a role in that at some point. And I do think as we look at the big picture, of of ai just in general is that it's going to learn about all of us and about our behavior with consuming content o- over time and it will be able to make uh, better recommendations to us but there there's downsides to that too so it just depends on as we've seen with youtube that the these recommendation engines can have certain bias they can have moderation capability as well they, but it's all keyed really and i I think even YouTube is tapping into this. And I think a lot of the big listening platforms like Apple and Spotify or whatever are tapping into transcripts increasingly. And I think Mm -hmm. about CapShow and I think about Descript and these other platforms, this whole infrastructure that we're talking about is all keyed on accurate transcripts Mm -hmm. And, and being able to edit via the transcript to be able to generate metadata based on what's in the transcript. I think is that's foundational. And I've been feeling that movement for three or four years now that uh, transcripts because I I was hearing all these big companies like Apple and Google and Spotify talking about how they're going to start pulling transcripts um, and Mm -hmm. storing them internally and then maybe eventually making them available publicly to to listeners off Mm -hmm. of their platform and I think we're starting to see that crack starting to happen now but I've been counting on these platforms using those transcripts to create better discovery algorithms. But it also opens the Pandora's box to moderation too, because once they have that deep content metadata, they can analyze it and do various things that we may or may not like.
1: Yeah. Which is where it's really interesting, the whole concept of podcasting, the power podcasting being the the I guess the independence of for the creator and based on RS feed, et cetera. And when we are like increasingly, because there still has to be distribution, and we know that there are big players, i.e., iTunes, Spotify, that are the biggest distribution platforms. And so how do you keep your independence when there are mm-hmm. still it's still a distribution play, right? Like it's yeah. it's so fascinating.
0: Yeah, I used to work I worked for 7 years for Microsoft on the Zoom podcast listening platform back in the early days of the medium. And so I've been on that kind of listening platform side for many years. And it's a it's a challenging place to be. I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for the guy the folks at Apple and the folks at Spotify that are trying to play in, in on the listening side. It's not an easy place to be. Because you're always trying to, you're being evaluated based on the consumption and the usage and things like that. And it, it does tend to drive you into different situations. And I do think that there is a, a model there that YouTube has, a, has established that could help podcasting. But I, like I just said, there's a, there's baggage that comes along with that that yeah. we may not all like. And I think a lot of people will criticize what I just said because of that <laughs> risk. But I also think that if you think about it, if you start putting yourself in the position of the listener or in increasing numbers of viewers, I think it makes a lot of sense long-term. I just wish there weren't the content moderation interests that are out there because I'm a big proponent of kind of free speech and having Mm -hmm. people be able to share, which has always been the culture of podcasting. It's always been nobody's, unless there's like, hate speech or whatever it's all keyed on terms of service that a lot of these platforms have and i've been involved in some situations where content had to be taken down but it's still relatively rare in the podcasting space to have content taken down for content there, there's mm-hmm. a lot of shows that are taken down because they have copyrighted music or things like that but per content take down based on topics or subjects or whatever it's not widely done yet
1: yeah yeah, which is this is a whole nother like, can of worms worms that we could be opening around free speech moderation, things like that. Because honestly, I'm like, you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not from here. I live here right. now, but I'm not from here. And so we just don't have the same kind of, I don't know how we call it, deep ingrained feeling of right to this concept of free speech, if that makes sense. Like it's mm-hmm. such an American thing, I feel that. I just, yeah, I, it's, and I look at it and I'm like, I get it, but I also think that Americans are a little bit crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the full spectrum of the situation. And that's why it has become a controversial topic is that some people, I think increasingly the digital mediums that we have today make pretty much any content possible. And there's, there's interests out there that would like us to not have that kind of freedom. Mm -hmm. I think that's the the trade-off on this. And I do think it's just a matter of time before things, that openness that we're all used to here in the U.S. kind of gets a little bit suppressed because it's free speech in the historical nature in the United States has been very kind of localized because Mm -hmm. it wasn't digital mediums like the Internet. So now exactly. that any given person can have a mm-hmm. megaphone to go to the world. Yeah. It, it wasn't just to the local people that they were around or they could be individually criticized for their thoughts. Now it's like on a global stage and that does make the authorities a little bit more concerned about it.
1: And that's exactly right. And when you think about free speech, I don't know, I'm interested to know, do we think that it's always historically been free speech or is it free speech for the people who have more money? The bi- and therefore can create the bigger audience and it's a, well, it it holds design, a very
0: yeah i think if you have heard what elon musk has said about this and also alinda, uh, uh, the new ceo of twitter is that we believe in free speech but we don't believe in free access to that speech you can say whatever you want to say but if you say certain things it's not going to reach as much people and there's a lot of people that push back on that And say, if I say something, it should go to all my followers. That's the gate that we're seeing increasingly be deployed against free speech. Is it sure you're free to say it, but you're also not free to have anybody hear it.
1: (laughs) Yes, Yeah, exactly. And that's why it comes back to almost what I was saying before, which is the distribution platforms. Actually, they are and they know it. They know how powerful They are. And that's why we see even in the podcasting space to bring it back to podcasting, we see a lot of new players enter the whole, I want to become a podcast player app, for example, because they know the power of being able to build that distribution because there's a lot of power in that. Just the problem is it's very hard to do. And that's why it does take a lot of money, does take a lot of time. And a lot of new businesses just don't have either that money or time to do it. So it becomes really interesting, a really interesting conversation to be like, what does free speech actually mean? Because yeah. I just don't, we can be very purist about it or not, either way, I just don't think that it's really working in the way that,
0: yeah, to, either way, I, either as a purist or not. Because when the US Constitution was made, there is an amendment in the Constitution that does preserve free speech in this country. But that was written in a pre-internet technology timeframe too. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Johnny, thank you for the comment. Hello from Santa Cruz. (laughs) I appreciate you joining us. So thank you for joining the show. I appreciate it. And But yeah, so we'll see. I think, yeah, over the next two years, I think a lot of these issues are going to be Fully deployed might be the right way of saying
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. You're you put a stake stake in the ground, so we'll have to circle back in maybe another six months and see <laughs> what's
0: Yeah, and just see what's what's happening on that front. I know that there's some new legislation that's being proposed to in especially in the EU that will I, I think it's already been passed, that, that the government has the right to shut down kind of speech based on its being deemed as heart harmful hate speech all this kind of stuff and it's they've left that kind of fairly open-ended on what all those things are so it it hasn't been clearly defined so i think that's where a lot of people get a little nervous because it's like what how far is that going to go Is, is it going to eventually include all speech that's maybe contrary or a different opinion and then at some point we just can't express ourselves differently to each other and that's I'm not sure that's as healthy either. I mm. think, yeah.
1: We won't have any difference of thoughts because you don't, don't, Rob, AI is going to take over the world. And
0: right, is the <laughs> AI going to be- have free speech? That's the question. <laughs> is AI going to have free speech, but humans aren't? You know, what's going to happen on that front? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even when you say that, it's what's fascinating is you go, is there a reason why the EU, for example, are keeping it really open when you think about, because again, they probably also, no offense to the, all the Americans here, because I love you guys, you're pretty crazy, especially about the constitution, <laughs> et cetera. But that thing was written a long time ago. And when we put so much stock in something that was written, that isn't kind, hasn't really moved with the times. It was written very definitively, but not kept up with the times. I wonder if that learning from that is what is driving this open-endedness, because yes, things will change and things that maybe are appropriate now yeah. won't be appropriate in the, whatever I don't know we don't know what's going to happen but I guess maybe yeah. that's where that openness comes in
0: I think that the danger areas is that the speech that doesn't follow a certain government narrative is what people are concerned about there's been examples of the government putting out information that is proven <clears throat> a year later to be incorrect and at that time that there were people that were giving the correct information but they were getting labeled as propagating misinformation when it was proven later to be accurate. So that's the danger of of clamping down too much on this. Because if you think about journalism, what's the purpose of journalism? Journalism was preserved based on the concept of free speech and the ability to challenge authorities with the truth that were discovered or malfeasance that's going on that needs to be exposed because that's what's right where if we can if we get put in a situation where we're hiding behind truth because the government has weaponized anyone doing journalism and challenging them with disclosures whether it's whistleblowers or wh- whatever that has consequences too that means that the government can do whatever they want to do and not face any accountability so that's yeah that's the dangerous side of suppressing free speech Now, granted, a lot of countries, like you said, around the world don't have even any kind of infrastructure like that. And I guess it's up to all of us to decide whether or not that's good or bad.
1: Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, that's what we, even in this construct of having free speech, we still have to decide what it is that we're going to believe because it's not free correct speech, right? (laughs) Everyone (laughs) believes that they're correct, even if you know they're proven not or whatever. Yeah. Everyone still believes that they're correct in some way, but that's not we what we're market. putting out there, right? Yeah, oh. exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh, so it's, I it's... think, sorry, go. Yeah, I think we went down the rabbit hole on the free speech. We really thing. did. Um, <laughs> I don't want to plant okay. my flag in the ground too much on that. Okay. I've been around l- long enough to see the evolution of this. I did a radio show for many years back in the early two thousands about the internet and the web and. Back then, I thought it was a utopian type of situation with the internet is that everybody was going to be able to freely communicate with each other. And we were going to have this kumbaya moment that everybody was going to align on everything and everything was going to be much better because everyone could communicate with each other but i guess i didn't take into account at the time that human nature is human nature right mm-hmm. there are people out there that will use that freedom to harm others and of course and i don't think any of us want that this internet thing that we've allowed to come into our lives is as two sides there's a good side and there's a there's an evil side to it too
1: as with everything like we we are 100% going to see that even with ai or any other new technology there's always going to be because And it's not that the technology itself is the bad thing. It's just always going to be bad people utilizing it in, right. in certain ways. So it was actually an interesting debate that, again, came up with when I was having a chat to Molly this morning and around, you know, is AI because I think she mentioned, oh, that's right. She was talking about 11 labs. If, no, if people don't know about it, you can basically use it to clone your voice and, or other people's voices. And basically, yep. you can oh, even record a whole podcast episode with it.
0: Don't say <laughs> and, that to record other people's voices.
1: <laughs> and the the good thing is, yeah, it can save you time and it can be a lot of fun when you're using it for the right reasons. Right. But We also know that there are people who use it, who are going to use it for really bad reasons. There's going to be an uptick in scam calls and think, people just using these cloned voices to scam people, that's just going to happen,
0: and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. There's a whole company out there. I don't know if many of you saw the fellow that was impersonating Tom Cruise, that was that has been out in Instagram and these platforms. He actually has a his own AI company that mm. is promoting this concept of creating deep fakes. So that is crazy. Yeah, he's got the whole like you can. This technology will actually replace the just the face part. In the head part of any video, so you can actually, you or I could go create some video out there, and then just put some celebrity's head on it.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, which is exactly where the actor strike right. is <laughs> stemming from. <laughs> right, like it's so, yeah, it's so crazy.
0: Yeah, so it does make you wonder if we all need to create our own clones at some point <laughs> just to compete with this. But I do. It does raise this question. I do another show called Trust Factor. I, it, it's a show on uh, on YouTube, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do an episode on deepfakes at some point, mm-hmm. and just talk about just our increasing. And this applies to podcasting, It applies to YouTube, and whatever is. There's going to come a time when we're going to have to either have some sort of a notification, and whether it's YouTube or in wherever we're consuming it, that um, this video was created by ai there's gonna to have to be some sort of a identification all there's going to be situations where somebody will create a video that was done by some president or something like that that is saying things that they never said and then mm-hmm. people get all spun up about it and it becomes viral and it becomes a head a news story but it was all based on someone that was trying to play a political trick yes i think those days are coming if they haven't already come
1: Answer. I think they're here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have to be skeptical of everything we see yeah. online, I think, as we go forward because yeah. of this technology. And I don't know if it's always going to be possible to be able to tell that it's fake. It's, gonna,
1: it's getting increasingly hotter, for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that's the dark side. <laughs> the lighter side is that all of us could possibly create versions of ourselves and create podcasts and, and actually not have to actually do them. So uh, I feel
1: Rob like every time that we get into a discussion, it always does descend
0: into the most dystopian view. That and also the, <laughs> the wow, I could I could do podcasts uh, all day long. Yeah, I, exactly. All, all I have to do is give it what information to talk about and it could just do it for me so i can just lay on my lounge chair and have a so that's the i don't know if that's a good outcome or not but that's going to be an outcome yeah for sure it is an outcome i'm going to be this that's my master plan with my efforts with with youtube i'm going to create all of these different shows and but you won't be able to tell if it's really me or not
1: oh that's a great (laughs) game to play spot the fake rob
0: can you tell, can you look <laughs> yeah. at the facial gestures and it's whatever, is that real or not? Yeah. yeah. Because I'm already doing this with, I, I'm already seeing on Instagram, these new videos that are being posted in there that you can tell that they're, they're image generated because mm-hmm. it, they're kind of their mannerisms don't seem entirely human. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they seem a little jerky yeah. and seem a little bit artificial and the voice coming out of them doesn't always match the, not that. Is a big factor, but doesn't always match. But I'm increasingly seeing more and more of that. Yeah. So I'm not gonna be surprised to see podcasts <laughs> start to head that direction. I guess they did create a whole Joe Rogan episode with mm-hmm. AI. I guess this was like four or five months ago. Yeah. And so anyway, so is there anything else that you saw at podcast movement that blew your mind?
1: I don't think it was anything that blew my mind, to be honest. I think there's a lot that's still happening in the editing space around people leveraging AI, et cetera. We're obviously in the post-production space on the AI side. And I know that when we launched 13 months ago, it was incredibly innovative. We were the first in podcasting to do what it is that we do. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't say that it's it doesn't feel innovative now because... And maybe that's just me because I've been in it for <laughs> for a little bit longer. But I think that there's still definitely a lot of, I guess, education around, which is what we're doing, having these discussions around how it is that podcasters can be leveraging all of these new emerging technologies for them for themselves. I think we're talking about. There are already businesses out there that's helping you clone your voice that, are, that have AI actors. These are things that there are image generation tools like, like Submit Journey, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel anymore there's going to be something that's going to blow our minds. I think we're seeing a lot of the things wash out right now around the possibilities. Things are just going to get smarter. They're just going to get a lot deeper in each of those aspects. That's how I see this evolving for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, while I have you. Let's talk a little about Show too. And I can, I can pull it up too on the screen here and we can kind of, you can run through with us a little bit about it. Yeah, um,
1: I can. Oh, I can share my screen if that's helpful, Rob.
0: Uh, here I can do it here. I, I can okay. pull it up here.
1: Okay. So while Rob's doing that, yeah, I'd love to, to talk about Capshow. So essentially Capshow is the fastest way to repurpose and market your expert content and your expert content being a podcast a live stream, like we're doing right now. It could be video content. So anything audio or video, you can essentially put into Capshow and we create all of the marketing assets for you. So what that means looks like, is your title and description, and your social media captions across all the different platforms. Two types of emails, so a promotional email and an engagement email for your newsletter list, a YouTube description, four types of blog posts, a LinkedIn article. And we, a few weeks ago, launched our creative studio, which is really helping creators use, turn that long form content into even smaller pieces of short form content. So we don't do, for example, the clipping yet. What we do is the smart identification. Of sound bites, the smart identification of quotes. Because again, we don't, we stand behind what it is that we do and why we do it and how we do it. We don't really want to be c- contributing to what I call the content vomit. So I don't really believe in the go from A to Z completely automatically. Clips are created for you. I know that you use some of that, Rob. So apologies for going counter to <laughs> what it is that you believe in. But from our perspective, we're like if we can just smartly identify, so we take the time out of you identifying those clips, mm-hmm. but you use a descript for example or any other video editing tool to actually make it your own, that is going to become the power of how we leverage AI and keep our human like the hum, our humanness our creativeness rather than have everything have everything look the same as everyone else is out there,
0: sure. I've pulled up on the screen kind of your my shows page on the mm-hmm. in the tool itself. Is there anything in here you wanted to show us or uh,
1: yeah, because I think that your when you use, last used it, you probably don't have access to Creative Studio yet, Rob. Okay. I know that we're getting you we're getting that yeah. fixed for you. Okay. So I can I can show Okay. Okay. My, why don't you do yeah, that? Yeah, why don't man. I do that? Okay, okay, cool.
0: I will shut um, that down and you can show me the latest and greatest. Yes,
1: let's do that. Okay, so the My Show screen looks very much the same, but the difference is going to be inside each of the, I was rattling these assets off, but essentially we look at all the different platforms that we can create content for. Our Twitter is like by threads, so you can actually, yeah, use Capture to help you create your Twitter threads essentially, or X, we should really call it now. Your emails, your YouTube description, LinkedIn article. It's like a long form content, and then the four different types of blog posts. And this is what I was talking about at Creative Studio, which is where we do this smart identification. So, based on the action you want your audience to take, so are you looking to raise awareness? Are you looking to get listens and views? Are you looking to get engagement? Basically, we will identify these 30 to 60 second clips we can also Mm -hmm. generate an intro and outro script for you to because again a lot of times these will come from our guests if we have guests and your followers on social media aren't there for them they're there for you You want to be able to pre-frame them and get them to watch your short form content so that's why it's a really good idea to actually introduce the thing that you know you've clipped and then also create that call to action. And so we identify it for you because can you imagine spending the time to actually find this but the beauty is once we've identified it for you, it becomes really easy and simple to then just edit edit that out using a Descript or, as I said, any other video editing tool right. and putting all that together. That's what we do on Soundbites. Segments is like YouTube segments, which is a three to five minute, very specific. So it actually will identify the chunks in your whole episode that goes to... I did, that goes to answering a specific question that you answered in your podcast. Because even like we did, Rob, we talked about a gazillion different in this last hour. And so what we've done here is just gone. We know that on YouTube, content that gets surfaced increasingly going to be those how-to tutorial, what people are searching and be very direct and targeted. And so that's what we're helping here by identifying these sound bites and all these chunks and putting them together for people. We Identify these one-line quotes as well, and it's based on different. Are you looking for a promotional style quote, a story style quote? That's what will will surface for you. And we also have a short-form script generator, where depending on the questions, again, that was answered in your podcast, and the type of audience action, it will actually generate a script that you can just record. Again, use a teleprompter or Descript has one of those. One of the new features that they announced was the the eye, like they can. You can basically read this and then use the script, and the eyes will look like it's looking at the camera. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing again, around
0: with that too with, yeah. with some of my. It can take a little while to process that if you have an hour long video or something like that. It can yes. chew along. Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially but these if are like
0: looking at the camera already. Right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but these are designed to be just short form video content. So you can imagine like using something like Capture, based on one podcast episode that you've recorded. The amount of content that you technically can create and put out there is insane. It's insane. Yeah. So yeah.
0: So that's what we do. All right. All right. Yeah. I think that, that that's awesome. And I'm sure you're always thinking about some new aspect of what you can do. Is there is there a roadmap of new things that are coming to the Cap Show that you're
1: always oh. you
0: guys- <laughs> Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm actually any
0: software like. Software SaaS product, it's that way. It's like. They're, yeah.
1: They're I, we're in this really frustrating place right now in terms of software where we have to somewhat down tools and stabilize the platform. But it's fru- and it's frustrating because it's like there is so much more that we want we want to be doing and so it's yeah it's one of those things where we need to we know that we just need to stabilize a platform but there's so much rob that's coming it's going to be pretty awesome
0: yeah that's fantastic deidre it was great to have you on the show i think we're gonna wrap it up here and let everybody move on with their lives so it was great to have you on
1: thank you here thanks for having to- me on
0: talk about Cap Show, and then also to just talk about all these controversial topics coming out of podcast <laughs> movements that are happening and that are really important to the future of what we're seeing with this medium. And I think it's important for all of us to understand these changes and see where the opportunities are for all of us to adapt. And because I, I know that's what I've been all about for the last six months is really trying to adapt to the changes in the medium to learn about Because when I was working at one company exclusively, you get a little siloed. I started in this industry working on the content side. So that's where my passions are. And it's always been. And that's why I really appeal to working with podcasters and creators is because I can, I can associate with them. Yes. (laughs) And I can, I can feel their pain and I can feel their process. And I, these tools are all, Really, my career has really been about helping create tools that help streamline this, and that's why it's so exciting to talk to you because you're at the at the cutting edge of where that evolution is happening, as well as the creation side with platforms like Numano and Streamyard or whatever that they're really pushing the envelope of what's possible in podcasting and trying to reach more listeners in an interactive way and a fun way. And so I'm excited to see the evolution of your platform and what happens to your company over the next couple of years. And, and we'll be following it very closely. Deidre, thank you for joining me here. And you're certainly, if you're watching this, you're certainly welcome to reach out to me. I'm at Rob.greenly at gmail.com. It can also be found on X at Rob Greenley with two E's on the end. And we'd be really happy to hear from you and definitely come back and watch next Wednesday's episode of the new media show. And I'm sure Todd Cochran will be back and we can Argue and fight again about what's happening in the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. We're come by <laughs> We've been doing this show. I think we're up close to 600 episodes now or more. But, Deidre, how can a listener contact you and interact with you? I know you have your own show and your own podcast. I so want you to tell us all about that.
1: Yeah. So I have a podcast for podcasters. It's called Grow My Podcast Show. And essentially, I talk to experts about what it is that they've done, what strategies they've leaned on to grow their shows. And we do the things ourselves and report back on results. So It's a pretty hands-on, like you learn a lot and then you see how it is that we're doing it. So that's what the podcast is about. And obviously, capshow.com to find out more about show and what it is that we do. And we'd love to see you in our community as our newest Capshowian.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. I actually joined your community just, I think it was yesterday. So, so I'm excited yep, about it. Rob's,
1: Rob's in there. So everyone else has to come well, in. This is that's the right. place
0: to be. <laughs> it's a It's a total requirement now. Sorry. <laughs> you don't have a choice anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you, Deidre. Thank you for joining me and watching the new media show again. And I hope you have a wonderful day and thanks for spending time with us today. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye everybody.